So we're in the middle of uh, chapter 8 of the book of Matthew. He's been explaining the authority that Yeshua has. We've learned that he's the prophet like Moses because he, and because of that he had authority to teach a new Torah halakha. He spoke not the teachings of the rabbis, but he came and spoke the very words of God concerning how to walk out the instructions of God. So in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he, he does just that in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapter 8 of Matthew, with the sermon over, Matthew starts to teach us about some of the miracles and healings that Yeshua did, that he had the authority to make the unclean clean, the sick well. And as we come to verse 23, we're going to find that Yeshua, as co-creator, has authority even over the winds and the waves, as we read in verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and the disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Yeshua was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed. And asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You know, this episode really should take us to the story of Jonah. He too was on the sea when a violent storm came up. And he too was sleeping in the boat. The difference being Jonah was running away from the call of God on his life. And Yeshua is not. Jonah had to be thrown overboard to calm the sea. Yeshua, he just speaks to it. But the other place it should take us would be the life of Moses. Remember, Yeshua is the prophet like Moses, and so what we see him doing throughout his ministry is many of the same things that Moses would do. Yeshua shows his dominion over the sea. Moses, the same. He stood at the Red Sea. And remember, the people were terrified because Pharaoh was in hot pursuit. It looked for all intents and purposes that the choice was either to be drowned in the sea or to be put to the sword or slavery. And then Moses, he raises his staff and the sea parted and the people are saved. Here the disciples are terrified. The boat is overloaded. The sea is rough. The waves are coming over the sides of the boat. Remember, these are fishermen who are used to the sea. And they're terrified and that should tell us how violent a storm it was. And Yeshua shows the same dominion over the sea and the disciples are saved. And Yeshua will do many things in his time here that will leave no doubt that this is the prophet like Moses. Now, in the book of Mark, in the telling of this episode, it adds this in Mark 4 and verse 40. His disciples said, or he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the response of Yeshua is reminiscent of the response of Moses at the crossing of the sea, which I want to read in Exodus chapter 14. It says this, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are they crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch your hand out over the sea, divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And so Yeshua, like Moses, he came to deliver the children of Israel, from the grasp of slavery. He came with a message of salvation for Israel, as Moses did. And not just Israel, 
But just as there was a mixed multitude that followed Israel out of Egypt, Yeshua came for those of the world who would follow Him, who would repent, who would hear the word of the Lord and obey. So in this narrative, Matthew makes a point of comparing the life of Yeshua and the miracles of Yeshua to those of Moses to no doubt show that He is the prophet like Moses. Next, we get the story of Yeshua exercising His authority in the spiritual realm, over some demons. And in verse 28 it says, When he arrived on the other side of the side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass their way that way. There are several possible locations for the event, but the most likely is on the east side of the Galilee where the rocky slopes meet the water and this side of the lake was considered Gentile territory and we can see that in the story because it's evidenced by pigs in the story we're told in the Mishnah something about the land of Israel in that day it says this they did not rear chickens in Jerusalem on account of the holy things they did not raise pigs anywhere not in the land of Israel or outside the land of Israel, speaking of the Jewish people. And so we have a story taking place here among the Gentiles because we have pigs being raised. Remember from our earlier in the book of Matthew, there were purity issues involved entering into territories of non-Jews. And here Yeshua, he just treads in that territory. You might also note that it said in our little quote there that they did not rear chickens in Jerusalem. That should get you pondering the story of Peter and the rooster crowing. But that's another sermon. How could the rooster crow in Jerusalem if there were no chickens there? Now, Matthew in his narrative has two men. But if we look at Mark, we'll see it has one man. He also gives us a bit more information In chapter 5 and verse 2 it says, When Yeshua got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons from his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And so we learn some things here about demons in this passage. You know, a lot of people don't believe that there are demons. But they're clearly spoken of in Scripture. And so some people, I think it's as if they, like the miracles of Yeshua are no longer for our day, demons are no longer for our day. But I beg to differ. The fact is, demons are responsible for a whole lot of problems in people's lives. And there are several things I want you to get out of this. First, demons like unclean places. The man lived among the tombs, the unclean place. The second thing I want you to see about demons is this man cut himself with stones. Demons are not nice. They cause destructive behavior in people's lives. And when they inhabit the animals, notice nothing changes. They cause destructive behavior. The pigs are so disturbed after being inhabited that they destroy themselves. If you know someone who's bent on destruction and has destructive behavior in their lives, the problem may very well be demonic. The suicides that we see in teens and adults as well, some of the 
unimaginable horrors we see on society, horrible murders. I believe that they're related to demonic activity. People and animals with demons are destructive to their life and the lives of others. They defile because they are like the places they want to inhabit. They're unclean. People who are controlled by the demons will appear to be destructive and often will appear for all intents and purposes to be insane. And I pulled this quote up out of the Talmud. It says, Our rabbis taught, Who is deemed an imbecile? He that goes out alone at night, and he that spends the night in the cemetery, and he that tears his garments. Actually, it is in the case where he does them in an insane manner. But if he spent the night in the cemetery, I might say he, didn't, he did it in order that the spirit of impurity might rest upon him. You see, nowadays people call people like this insane, but in fact, oftentimes it's because they're troubled by demonic spirits. Most of the truly, I think, most of the truly horrific behavior we see in the world is actually demonic activity. You don't have to be possessed to be troubled by demons either. The whole area, we're told, was troubled by, this, by these demons inhabiting this individual. If you have people around you that have demons, they're going to cause problems for you. The other thing that demons display in the lives of people is great strength. We told, we're told in the passage that he had great strength. You know, when you combine all of those things in the extreme, what you have, you have people like Adolf Hitler. Demons may not inhabit you, but they can cause you problems just by being nearby or in inhabiting someone else and being in close proximity. Demons in close proximity can cause depression in other people, strife, sickness, and problems. Let's read on about this, about this demonic episode. In verse 29, it says, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Something else we learn is that the demons here knew that Yeshua was early, that their judgment time had not come. And so they remind him of that fact. What are you doing? You know, there's a time when all demons are going to be bound and they're going to suffer with the wicked of the earth. We've looked at this in our services. There's a, there's a festival that teaches about this. The festival of Yom Kippur teaches about the judgment of the earth. Enoch speaks of this time as well. The book of Enoch was read in the first century and it's even quoted in our New Testament. Jude quotes it in chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, Enoch, the seventh of Adam, prophesied about these things. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. You see, what most people don't read and realize is that's a quote from Enoch chapter 1. And it basically speaks of a judgment of men who have turned their backs on God. But if we look further into the book of Enoch, we can find that these demons have an appointed time coming as well. Enoch 54, verses 1 through 6 say this, Then I looked and turned to another face of the earth, and I saw there a valley deep and burning with fire. And they were bringing kings and potentates 
And they were throwing them into the deep valley. My eyes saw their chains. They were making them into fetters of immense weight. And I asked the angel of peace who was going with me, saying, For whom are these imprisonment chains being prepared? And he said to me, These are being prepared for the armies of Azazel, in order that they might make them and take them and cast them into the abyss of complete condemnation, as the Lord of the Spirits commanded it. And they shall cover their jaws with rocky stones. Then Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, and Penuel themselves shall seize them on the great day of judgment. And so there's a day of judgment that's coming for these demons. If you haven't been to our teaching on Yom Kippur, Azazel is the name of a demon who inhabits the wilderness. And it's also the name of the goat that we see in the Yom Kippur service. He's sent to Azazel. He's the one for Azazel. And this is all a picture of the final judgments that's coming. The appointed time that these demons spoke of in this very passage when they said the appointed time has not come. In the book of Mark, the demon calls himself legion, which means, which means he's numbers in the thousands. Listen to what it says in verse 30 of chapter 8. Some distance from them a large herd of pigs was feeding. And the demons begged Yeshua, drive us, if you drive us out, send us into that herd of pigs. And he said, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Again, note that these unclean animals once inhabited immediately display destructive behavior. They commit suicide. I can tell you that suicide is caused by demonic possession. We see it among our young people today. A lot of young people, a lot of not just young people, but people getting involved with the occult, with drugs, pharmaca. Pharmaca is a word which means, is a term for witchcraft. When you take drugs, you actually invite demons into your life. You're giving up your free will. You're giving up your sanity. And you invite these things into your life. When you take drugs, you actually invite them into your lives. The more people get involved with these things, the more suicide and the more destruction you're going to see. And sadly, oftentimes... Especially the young kids are fooled into thinking that it's cool. And they think it's cool until they're so controlled and so under its influence that they commit some crime or something that leads to imprisonment or death, an overdose. You see, that's what the demons are about. They're out about destruction. We can see it in this herd of pigs. They immediately went down the hill and into the water and drowned. You know, that's not the only place you see it. You see it in suicide bombers today. These folks are working for and through the evil one. They're no longer in control of themselves. They have demons and the poor jerks think they're going to paradise with 70 virgins when in fact they're going to the judgment that we just spoke of in the book of Enoch. I also want you to note that demons argued with Yeshua and in this instance uh, and others, they just leave. And the reason is, is one I've noted in, noticed in ministry as well, that demons take advantage of free will. Just as the adversary took advantage of Adam and Eve's free will. And in, in, in this instance and in others, people came to be rid of the demon in the infirmity. And it came out immediately. The person who's being tormented must want the help. Or the demons can stay. And even if they don't stay and they leave, they'll return. 
Because why? They're welcome. The person who's being tormented must want the help. The problem is, you see it in deliverance ministries all the time. If the person really wants to be rid of the demon and they accept Yeshua in their life, if they accept Yeshua into their life, they don't need a deliverance ministry. They can command it to leave themselves and Yeshua will take care of it. They just say, I want to be rid of this Lord Yeshua and it's gone. The problem is, if the person doesn't want the demon to leave, there's nothing you can do. That person has free will. You can stand there and say all the prayers over the person you want to pray. He's not going anywhere because he's welcome. And therein lies the problem. Because most people get quite comfortable with the uncleanness that they're in and they really don't want to change. Anyway, we get an interesting, if not humorous, conclusion to the end of this episode. In verse 33... Those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all of this, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. And the whole town went out to meet Yeshua, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So what we have here is the Gentiles see this miracle Yeshua has done, and the response is quite different than the Jewish people. They don't go get their sick, and their other demon-possessed. Instead... They're worried about the loss of all those pigs. <laughs> kind of like they're unwilling to give up the ham, right? <laughs> Sounds familiar, right? Kind of ironic. They accept Yeshua, but they're unwilling to give up the ham. And so it's, it's really prophetic that many Gentiles, as well as Jewish people, will reject the Messiah in favor of other things in life, the things that they hold dear in life, the things that they love about life. They'll forsake the commands. They'll forsake Yeshua. Even though Yeshua had shown the authority to do what no one else could do, to drive out these demons, they had even given up trying to do it, as evidenced by the fact that the demonized man was, had been abandoned to the tombs, and even though he tormented people. And after Yeshua gets rid of the demons, they still ask him to leave. And what does Yeshua do? Well, he does exactly that. So... Luke adds to this narrative in chapter 8 and verse 37. He says, Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Yeshua to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. You know, it says they were overcome with fear. You read through scriptures, you're going to find that oftentimes people miss the blessing of God because we're overcome with fear. We saw it at Mount Sinai. The people were overcome with fear at the voice of God. And so the Gentiles reject Yeshua. He gets into the boat and he crosses back over. And we'll pick up now in chapter 9 and verse 1. Yeshua stepped into the boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some of the men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Yeshua saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, Yeshua says your sins are forgiven. And, and then... Healing the man points to two things, which are, should be obvious. First, the disease in the world is the result of sin entering into the world. Disease and death entered into the world because of the sin of Adam. Does that mean that your disease should be healed when your sins are forgiven? Does it mean that? Well, I believe it does. It did in my life. 
And it would appear to be so here in Scripture. A brief look at Scripture will show us that, that as people believe on Yeshua, their afflictions are healed. Does that mean you may never get sick again? Well, I don't believe that because we have instances in Scripture of believers being ill. God can heal. He wants to heal. Does He have to heal? No. So, if He does heal, we give Him glory. If He doesn't heal, we give Him glory because He's the one who knows. The other thing is that that's not apparent here as it is in Mark, is how is it Yeshua says your sins are forgiven? Is there something, you know, there's something necessary for sins to be forgiven. What is necessary for sins to be forgiven? In order for sins to be forgiven, there has to be a heart change in the person. You have to, have, you have to see some repentance. Listen to what David says in Psalm 51 and verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, in order for there to be forgiveness, in order for forgiveness to happen, you must have sorrow. You must have some repentance for what you've done and a desire to do better and not transgress again. A sorrow and a repentance for our sin is the beginning of forgiveness. Yeshua is not going to forgive your sins unless he sees a heart change in you. Right? My rabbi, blessed memory, used to say, if there's no tears of repentance, then there's no forgiveness. And I believe every word of that. And so we have to assume that Yeshua saw something here, some repentance here. And this is where Mark's version gets a little more important. It says this, since they, could not get, since they could not get him to Yeshua because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Yeshua. After digging through it, they lowered the mat down and the paralyzed man was lying on it. And Yeshua saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And so what did Yeshua see that was a change in heart? What did he see? He saw, all we see that he saw was his, their faith. The only sign of repentance was he seized their faith. Listen to what Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So faith is being sure... Elsewhere we're told, faith is being sure of what we do not see. And the ancients were commended for it. It took faith to please God. God. It tells us it takes faith to please God. When we see men in the Bible like Abraham, and he had faith, they were commended for that faith. When we see men in the Bible who didn't have faith, they were punished by God. We can see it in the story of the spies. Ten were condemned for their lack of faith, and two were rewarded. Because they trusted God. Faith is confidence in what is declared by God and yet is what, what is unseen. It's trusting in God. Listen to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
The righteous will live by faith. If you're going to be a righteous person, you're going to walk around all day declaring what is unseen. That's how the righteous live. And if you're not living like that, then you might think that you might be missing the mark somewhat. The Torah declares that the righteous will live by faith. And if you don't live by faith, then you're not living up to God's Torah standards. So we might have some insight into this man's sin. He says he saw their faith. Maybe his sin was one of not trusting God. And perhaps the sin was forgiven when he finally believed that God would heal him. And that sin of unbelief was forgiven. We don't know for sure, but I, I, that's what I get from the story. It's a sin that many of us suffer from. We don't trust God to heal us. We don't trust God to provide for us often. We often fail to trust God. And that's sin. Verse 3 says, At this some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Yeshua said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home, and when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to human beings. Who had given such authority to human beings. Yeshua's response to the teachers of the law And the reason we found in verse 6, it says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Yeshua wants us to know the extent of His authority. He has authority to forgive sins. He has authority to heal. He has authority to drive demons from your life. To teach you the truth and the essence of Torah how to walk out Torah. But it all relies on one thing. When Yeshua saw their faith. What Yeshua needs from us, the only thing Yeshua needs from us is our trust in Him. Our faith in Him. Trust in Him to heal. Trust in Him to provide for you. Trust in Him to to derive the adversary from your life. And we also need to know something else. Yeshua now indwells us. He abides within us and we in Him. And if we truly understood that, we would understand we have the same authority Yeshua has. We now have the authority to forgive sin. That's something we didn't have before Yeshua. You know, after Yeshua, after I accepted Yeshua into my life, He took me on a journey through my past so that I might forgive everybody that I hadn't forgiven in my past. We have authority to drive the demons from our lives. We don't need people delivering us. We just need to use the authority Yeshua gave us and couple it with the desire to be rid of those things. And those things have to leave our life. If we only knew and believed, along with accepting Yeshua's eternal salvation, we should receive healing. It should be part of our salvation message when we go out to witness to people. We should tell them Yeshua can heal you. You know, we live in a society where we're stripped of our faith. We're starting to get stripped of our faith when we're this tall and we go to school. 
They start stripping us of our faith. These things can't be done. These things can't be done. Let me tell you something. God can do anything. Amen? Amen. I just praise God that I hadn't... You know, when I cried out to Yeshua that night in the, in the field, I praise God that I hadn't been to church and been stripped of my faith before I cried out to Him. Or I might not have been healed. But I didn't know that He... Nobody had told me He didn't do those things anymore. And guess what? I found out that He did. Praise God. Amen? Hallelujah. If we only knew, and if we only believed, Friends, it all comes through one thing, through trust, through trusting God, through confidence in what is unseen. Next week, I want to back up a little bit and look at some more of these things in detail. I kind of just brushed through it this week because I spent so much time on my Passover message. But next week, we'll back up a little bit and um, we'll uh, go through some of these things in a little more detail.